Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Let's take our hymn sheets. We're going to turn to number 53 and sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues, the first, the third, and the last. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of cancelled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood avail for me. All right, good evening. I want to welcome you to our midweek Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Good to have you with us tonight. We are marveling over the past couple of days what a joy it is that uh, it's staying light out a lot later now. No longer is it uh, cold and dark by 4.30. It's just cold out. <laughs> it's still cold out, though. Uh, praise God for the sunshine, though. I'm grateful for that. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. We'll continue and we'll sing a bit more. Hopefully you have song sheets if you uh, have received email from us today. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, for the sunshine and the beauty of the light today. Lord, you are the creator of light. Uh, you created it before the, the sun, moon, and stars, and that's an amazing, amazing fact. Lord, we thank you for it. Father, I thank you tonight for all of your provision Lord, it's perfect, and it's in your time, and I thank you, Father. Uh, you provide for us in every way. You're meeting our needs. Yes, we have concerns tonight. Uh, we do pray about the coronavirus uh, pandemic. We pray for protection. We pray tonight, Father, that you are working and accomplishing your purposes and allowing this trial. Father, we pray that in your time that you would lift this trial, and Lord, that you would... Um, just permit us to safely meet together again. Give us wisdom in that regard uh, to know when and how to do that. Meanwhile, I pray that we rejoice uh, in our salvation, that we rejoice in Lord Jesus Christ. And as we sing tonight, Lord, that there would be a true, a genuine joy from you in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who uh, brings that forth as a fruit, a love, joy, and a peace, all three, uh, and more, especially as we yield to you. So Father, help us to do that tonight. And do help us to worship you with hearts that are humbled, but also joyful tonight. Father, I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your hymn sheet, let's go to number 379. Number 379, we'll sing, We Have an Anchor. 379, all three verses. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love It will safely more twill the storm withstand For it is well secured by the Savior's hand Though the tempests rage and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall our bark overflow. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And the last, when our eyes behold through the gathering night, the city of gold, our harbor bright. 
we shall anchor fast by the heavenly shore with the storms all past forevermore. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. All right, just a, a quick announcement before we begin tonight. If you are watching our services but don't receive the emails with our song sheets, you can go to our website at www.lhbaptist.com. Go to the contact page. Uh, up along the top of the page, you'll see a, a link that says contact. Go ahead there, scroll down to the bottom of the page. You could sign up to receive our emails there. You'll receive all of our emails, but, but that's okay. Take your Bible tonight, please, and turn to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. So uh, two weeks back, we began this new study. So if you're joining us tonight uh, for the first time in Judges, that's okay. We're still fairly new uh, in our study through the book of Judges. Uh, so just ask you to take your Bible, and I encourage everybody to have a Bible. Uh, take your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 3. So uh, up to this point, we've given an introduction. We've set the historical context. Uh, we're, uh, we're now just after the life of Joshua and the things that we've seen in, in the book of Joshua. Remember, chronologically, uh, we've moved from Genesis to Exodus to Numbers uh, and then two J's, Joshua and now Judges. So that's the chronological order of our Old Testament books, uh, give or take. Uh, and now we find ourselves in this time uh, when God was using these so-called judges. It's a time before the children of Israel had kings. Uh, this is a time of, it's really a time of, of, of sorrow and difficulty. Uh, and I say that because, uh, as you know, if, if you know the, the context here, this time when the people fall into great sin, uh, they've allowed themselves to take on the practices and even the gods of their unbelieving neighbors or their neighbors who believe in false gods. And as you know, uh, if you've been with us, uh, we'll see God intervene a number of times. The people will fall into sin and false worship. God will raise up, uh, he'll first raise up an enemy uh, to chasten them, to chastise them, to correct them. And that will go on for years at a time. Uh, and then uh, after that, the Lord will raise up one of these judges from among the children of Israel and spiritually empower and enable that judge uh, to deliver the people from chastisement and oppression. Uh, God doesn't do that until the people repent, until they call out to God. So we'll see tonight here in Judges chapter 3 the first uh, several of these cycles. Uh, two of them we see uh, every step in, in all the details. The last one is just... Um, uh, it's really just one verse. Uh, we'll see first oppression under Mesopotamia, uh, and then Moab, uh, and then the Philistine oppression will be right at the end of the chapter, and it's just one verse. So we'll spend most of our time tonight looking at two of these cycles. Uh, remember, we're, we're using S's. The people fall into sin. God raises up an enemy from one of the, the, the local nations uh, to chastise them and to bring them under oppression for a period of time. Uh, the people cry out to God in response to that. They make supplication. So it's sin. They suffer chastisement. Uh, God uses that to bring them to, to uh, repentance. They make supplication. They cry out to the Lord. And the Lord will raise up uh, a judge who will deliver them or give them salvation from that uh, enemy, from that time of correction. So I'm going to pray real fast, and we'll just jump right in uh, to Judges chapter 3 here. Let's, let's bow our heads once more, please. Father, thank you tonight for this book. Uh, it would be easy uh, for someone, I suppose, to think that this is uh, history from thousands of years ago and, and can't possibly be relevant to us. But Father, we understand tonight this is very relevant to us. We recognize in our own lives, Lord, a tendency to slip away from you, a tendency to get too close to the world and to get pulled into worldly things. Uh, Lord, a tendency to not stand guard against that possibility. Well, Father, I thank you tonight that just as you did in the, in the time of the judges, 
you do intervene in our lives today. You're, you're still that same gracious God who, who is involved in our lives, who intervenes, who uh, allows uh, uh, chastening, correction of us today, uh, Lord, to bring us to repentance, to cause us to seek you and to repent of sin. And, and Lord, you do restore blessings as we do that. So, Father, I pray as we go through these uh, several uh, cycles uh, of sin and suffering and supplication and salvation tonight that we be reminded that if we do not stand guard against this tendency, uh, our lives can be lived in and out of this cycle. Lord, this is a warning to us tonight. And Father, I thank you tonight that um, because of Christ, uh, we do not have to be caught in cycles like this. We recognize the power of sin is broken at the cross and uh, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God who strengthens us to uh, repent and to forsake sin and to stay close to you. So, Father, help us tonight to keep these things in mind. Help me now, Lord. I need your help. I pray for each listener now as we uh, study together. Lord, help this to be a time of, of learning uh, and spiritual growth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, let's jump right in. We're in Judges chapter 3, uh, verse 1. The, uh, here at the beginning of this chapter, we're reminded of what we saw toward the end of the last chapter. God is leaving a certain number of the enemies of the children of Israel in place uh, around them because he's going to use them uh, to correct his people. As they fall into sin, he's, he's going to raise up an enemy king who will oppress uh, the people, uh, and that, that oppression will ultimately cause the people to uh, to repent and, and come back to the Lord, and, and God will raise up a judge to do that. So we've been through that idea several times tonight. Let's jump in. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove. That word prove has the idea of testing or putting through a trial uh, to prove Israel by them, uh, even as many of Israel as, as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Verse 2, only that the generation of children of Israel might know to teach them war, uh, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, uh, and now here's some of the enemies that we'll see, uh, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites uh, and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwell uh, in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, uh, Hermon, unto the entering in of uh, Hamath. Uh, and now verse 4, and they... Uh, these enemies, uh, these enemy peoples were to prove, to test, to try Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded by their fathers by the hand of Moses. So uh, these are some of the people that um, God's people had, had refused to put out, to put away, to deal with. Uh, as such, they're still in place and, and able uh, to be a menace to God's people. And, and God says, God has already said, listen, I'm not going to drive them out. You, you didn't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use them to correct you now. So moving into verse uh, 5, we see uh, entering into this first cycle of sin and suffering and supplication and salvation. See with me here in uh, chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says here, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Again, let's be clear, these are not the children of Israel. These are enemies, enemies of God uh, and enemies of God's people. They're, uh, they're false worshipers. They're all practice, practicers of, of, of false idol worship. Uh, they worship Baal and other false gods. Uh, look with me here in verse 6. Uh, and they took... Now, this is, this is they here is, is, is the Israelites, the, the, the sons of Israel, the children of Israel. They uh, took their daughters. So uh, children of Israel took the daughters of, of the enemies of the Lord to be their wives uh, and gave their daughters to their sons. See the next thing here. The very next phrase at the end of verse 6 says, uh, and served their gods. And you see here this, uh, this progression from a wrong fellowship to forgetting the Lord, to uh, serving false gods. And listen, that, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a progression that we're at risk of uh, even today. So I'm going to say, well, Pastor, I'm not going to get caught up in worshiping a false god. That might be. But let's understand here. Let's be reminded that we are called to be a people who are separate uh, from the world, separate from worldliness, uh, a people who stand guard. It's not that we can't have relationships with anyone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. You've got to have some degree of relationship to win someone to Christ. 
but we take care about how close we are to those people. We stand guard against allowing them to be a greater influence to us than we are to them. Clearly what we see in verse 6 is way over the line. Uh, we see the children of Israel making marriages uh, and mixing, combining families uh, with those who worship false gods. And as a result, they, they progress from wrong fellowship to forgetting the Lord to serving uh, their false gods. Verse 7 says this, the children of Israel did evil uh, in the sight of the Lord. Of course, false worship is evil uh, and forget. They forgot the Lord their God and having done that, served Balaam and the groves. Uh, the groves were uh, trees, just exactly what it sounds like, where false worship of Baal took place. So you see here, wrong worship leading to uh, a distance from the Lord, forgetting the Lord and getting drawn into false worship. You say uh, tonight, maybe you, you're saying, how in the world could that happen so quickly? Well, it, it, it can happen quickly. You, you know from your own life, from your own experience, if you pull back from the Lord, you slip a little bit one day, a little bit more the next day. Uh, pretty soon you're not in church or you're attending less often. Pretty soon you're not in your Bible much at all. Pretty soon you're not praying much at all. Uh, thinking and living pretty much like uh, you weren't saved at all. That, that can happen uh, rather quickly if you're not careful. And don't forget, as we've said recently, uh, we're still spiritual beings. God has made us to be spiritual beings. Uh, he's made us to have spiritual needs, uh, including the need to worship. God has built us with that need. If you're not worshiping the Lord and uh, you've gotten so far away from the Lord, it's like you've forgotten him and there's some other kind of worship happening, don't think for a second that you're not at risk of getting pulled into that. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament. We see warnings about that in the New Testament. The reason those warnings are there is because this is a, a literal possibility. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to stay close to you, to grab on tight to you, uh, to never, ever let go. So we see this first S here, uh, this first uh, S in the first cycle, the sin. Now see the chastisement. God is going to raise up an enemy king. Uh, it's King Cushion uh, Rishthavim. Uh, his name means doubly wicked cushion, something like that. I doubt his parents gave him that name. I doubt Brother Ray, he gave himself that name. Probably it was a name given to him by his enemies, but uh, he's the, the king of Mesopotamia. Uh, God is going is, is to raise him up and allow him to rule over uh, the children of Israel for eight years. Uh, eventually, they'll get the idea that God wants their attention. Uh, they'll cry out to God. God will raise up Othniel. That should be a name that sounds familiar to you. And uh, God will give the people deliverance uh, at their repentance, and they'll have a time of rest, a time of peace for 40 years. So uh, there's the cycle. There's the outline. Let's see here in chapter 3, verse 8. So that they, they've sinned against the Lord. They've, they've allowed themselves to come into worship of false gods. Verse 8 says, Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. I'll bet it was. They were worshiping the false gods of enemy people. Uh, how did the Lord respond? The Bible says, and he sold them into the hand uh, of Cushan. Uh, and then the, the, the second part of his name is Rishhatham or Rishthaham. Rishthaham, uh, literally uh, the doubly wicked Cushan. He's the king of Mesopotamia, the Bible says. And the end of the verse says, and the children of Israel served this enemy king for eight years. Eight years is a long time, Zach, uh, for, for God to allow his people to be under oppression, to be under servitude uh, to this king. It's, think about a year, think about three years, five years, eight years. Brother Ray, I would hope that before eight years went by, I would have got the idea that God wanted me to repent of, of this evil, uh, this having strayed from God, forgotten God, and, and got into the business of worshiping other gods. I would have think before eight years went by, I would have got the idea. But uh, God knows what it takes to get the idea of his people and to turn them uh, from their wicked ways. He knew then, uh, he knows now. And, uh, again, tonight, we look around the world, we see all the many trials in, in the world tonight. Uh, boy, does God's, he wants people's attention uh, today as well. Just a quick note here on this place, Mesopotamia. Uh, the word is translated actually from two words, one of which literally refers to two rivers. So this would seem to be a, a reference to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, uh, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. It's the land 
uh, between those two places. Of course, if you know anything about geography or world history, uh, it's popping into your mind. Uh, sure enough, that's, uh, that's modern Iraq, the land that basically occupies modern Iraq. Uh, we think the Garden of Eden was probably in this area. Of course, this was the original home of Abraham, or uh, his home was in this same area. This, of course, was also the location of the Babylon, both the Babylon, uh, and the Medo-Persian Empire. So this is a place with some history. This is a place with uh, real history, and it's a place where uh, God is raising up an enemy king now to cause his people to see their error. He's, he's correcting them through uh, this oppression. Eight years long. Well, they finally get the idea. See verse 9. The Bible says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord... Uh, we'll see in the next part of the verse that the Lord raised up Othniel, the son of Canez. So after eight years go by, they finally get the idea that uh, this is not God's desire. God, is, God has allowed us to come under servitude, uh, oppression. Uh, we've got to get back to the Lord. And they cry out to him. Of course, this is the answer for us today as well. If you recognize in your own life today that you are under God's corrective hand. If you see that God has lifted some of the blessing that was there, uh, and in place of that, he's allowed some correction into your life, you would do well to stop and say, God searched my heart. Maybe your uh, chances are, if that's the case, you've already been convicted about the sin, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe you want to be sure and, and pray and say, God search my heart. Show me uh, all the things that I need to repent of and pray, Lord, give me strength. Give me your grace to repent of those things. Well, uh, I think a lot of that is implied here. All the Bible says is that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Certainly their repentance is implied uh, in this cry. In the very next part of the verse, uh, the Bible says, the Lord raised up a deliverer. This is our first uh, so-called judge. This is Othniel. A quick word about this word deliverer. The same word is often translated savior. And stop and think about this. We refer to the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior. Brother Ray, what has he saved us from? He saved us from the consequence of our own sin, uh, which is a very real and, and very eternal penalty uh, in a very real hell. So Christ is our Savior in that he's, he's saved us from the consequence of our sin. Uh, these judges are really, they're picturing that same thing. The people fall into sin, they experience consequences. A, deliver, a judge is a deliverer or savior out of that as they repent. The very same principle applies to the salvation that we know in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, uh, these judges uh, picture Christ. These people picture us and other people in the world today. These judges picture Christ and the salvation that we know in him. So the last part of verse 9 there says, um, uh, to the children of Israel who raised, I'm sorry, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, you remember Othniel uh, appears to be Caleb's nephew. The exact relationship is debated sometimes, but I think it's a good bet that Othniel is Caleb's nephew. You recall that Caleb rewarded Othniel with uh, the hand of his daughter, Aksa, in marriage uh, after Othniel led a successful military battle uh, at Caleb's request. So you, you remember that from back in uh, the book of Joshua. Now, I want you to see verse 10 carefully. Uh, please take a good, careful look at verse 10. I want you to see that, that God has not only raised up Othniel, God not only raises up the judges, he not only calls them and selects them and, and raises them up, it is the Lord who empowers these judges to accomplish the deliverance that God has called them to accomplish. And you see that here, Zachary, in verse 10. The Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, the hymn is Othniel, uh, and he judged Israel. Uh, there, there's the, the reference to his, the office of, of judge. Uh, and went out to war. So he understands that God has called him to go out and, uh, and literally uh, liberate the children of Israel from oppression to uh, Mesopotamian king. Uh, the Bible says here, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan uh, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And he prevailed against this king. God accomplished this 
through the man that God called. Now listen, I don't have to tell you, I think you understand, God is still doing that. Uh, God still calls people today, uh, he still calls his people today to specific places of service. Uh, today it's obviously as a saved, baptized member uh, of a local church, that's important uh, in the New Testament, and this is the church age in which we're living. So uh, the principle is the same, the place is different. Today it's the local church where God uh, places people and he calls them into specific places of service and still empowers them by the Holy Spirit to accomplish that ministry to which he calls. Of course, God's given us spiritual gift. God's given us the fruit of the Spirit. He's given us a church to, to learn and, and a place to serve. And uh, all the spiritual enablement that we need today uh, is pictured here in the Lord uh, selecting out people for places of service and then enabling them to do that. So that's verse 10. That's important. Well, that uh, principle uh, we'll see uh, over and over again throughout these various cycles. Well, here's the result, verse 11. The land had rest 40 years. So the people have been brought out of the oppression that God used to correct them, to cause them to cry out to him. Uh, he's, he's called his leader. The Lord has called his leader. He's given his leader enablement to accomplish the deliverance that he desired. And the, the result is exactly what God desired. The land had rest 40 years. So they were under oppression for eight years, but then God gave them, God blessed them with a time of rest for 40 years. Now, what's implied, of course, is that throughout those 40 years, Brother Ray, the people were staying relatively close to the Lord. Uh, they had repented of their cozy relationship with enemies, uh, people of false faiths. Uh, they had gotten right about that. And what's implied is during that time, People were doing the things that they should be doing. They were careful. They were mindful. They were determining and uh, being, being uh, daily choosing uh, to stay close to the Lord, to live for him, to walk with him, to serve him. Uh, and they had rest for 40 years. That's a, that's a great time of, of blessing that is pictured there, no doubt. Now, I think we all recognize in our own hearts that when things are going well, we have a tendency to slip back again into old ways. Uh, Zach and Ray, we, we, we recognize that, right? Uh, when blessings are, are restored and everything is going along well, we, we kind of forget that it's the Lord that uh, is blessing and causing things to go well. And uh, if we're not careful, uh, if we're not staying in church and staying in the Bible and, and, and maintaining good spiritual disciplines at home, uh, sure enough, when everything is going great, when everything's hunky-dory, it's easy to slip again. Well, that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Uh, and, and at least that's strongly implied because uh, here again, we see them slipping, uh, falling into error again. Uh, see verse 12, here's their sin. So we're starting back through that cycle again. Uh, we're coming out of salvation back to sin now. Verse 12 says, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Now, Zach, I don't know exactly what the evil was. I don't know what the sin is, but it's probably more of the same. Uh, we, I think we can safely assume what they had been easily pulled into before, they probably slipped back into again. They, they paved the way down that road before that road has been paved. Uh, it, it's easy to go down that same road again. That's probably what happens. So they've sinned. Uh, they're going to suffer chastisement again now. Uh, it's been 40 years. They've slipped, but God is still God. God is going to graciously insert himself into their lives and, and, and shake them and cause them to wake up. And here is how he does it. Next part of verse 12 says this. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab. So we had enemy nation Mesopotamia, uh, and now it's the enemy nation Moab and King Eglon, who the Lord strengthened to come against his people. Don't, don't miss that. This is not God just allowing this. The Bible says God strengthened, uh, second part of verse 12, Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. God's just not allowing correction into their life here. He is authoring correction into their life. He is actively inserting himself into their lives and actively injecting correction into their lives 
by uh, bringing this, this um, I was going to say judgment, and perhaps it's that, but it's certainly it's correction, against Israel, verse 12, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 13 says this, and he gathered unto him uh, the children of Ammon and Amalek. So the he here um, is probably Eglon. Uh, so he, uh, Eglon, king of Moab, uh, he, had a, he had a long-time confederacy uh, with, with Ammon uh, to the north of Moab. This was uh, a land that was long associated with Moab. Uh, both tribes seem to have been involved in hiring Balaam uh, to curse Israel uh, back in Numbers. They, they, they've been confederated against God's people for a long time. Uh, so uh, picture Moab to the east, to the east of the Jordan, uh, east of the Dead Sea, and then to their north would be uh, Ammon, and then to the south of Moab would be Amalek. Uh, three enemies confederated together are going to come against the children of Israel now, and, and God is allowing this. Uh, he seems to be authoring this correction uh, among his people. So you see again verse 13, he gathered uh, unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek to the north to the south of Moab, uh, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So here's a question, do you know what the city of palm trees is? Do you know what the city of palm trees is? Uh, well, let's learn this right now. This is Jericho. Make a note in your Bible, please. Deuteronomy 34 uh, and verse three. Make a little cross-reference in your Bible. Deuteronomy 34 and verse three says, to the south, the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees. Uh, so, so Jericho is, is defined uh, as the city of palm trees. So if you wonder about that, there's, there's your answer. Uh, Jericho uh, is the city of palm trees. So verse 14 says, So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now how's your, how's your short-term memory? How long did they serve the king of Mesopotamia? How long was that? That was eight years, right? Uh, God gave them deliverance. He saved them out of that, gave them rest for how long was it? Do you remember? Do you remember? I'm listening for people at home. Do you have it in your notes, people here at church? There's just two here, I promise you. Look at your notes. Uh, look at your notes. So the children, how long was it? Did you get it now? Let's, let's, let's get it into your notes. It was eight, it was, their oppression was eight years. After Othniel gave them victory, it was 40 years. It fell out of my mind too, and I've been studying it. Uh, they, they were under oppression of Mesopotamians for eight years, and then Othniel, God delivered them through Othniel, and they had rest for uh, 40 years. Uh, here in verse 14, uh, they're going to be under servitude uh, to Moab for 18 years, 10 years longer than the first time. Brother Ray, sometimes it takes a little more correction to get things right. Uh, why is it 18 years? Well, I think God, God knew what it would take uh, did God intend for it to be 18 years? I'm sure he hoped, and of course he knew what it would take, but uh, here it, it took 18 years for the people to finally cry out to God once again. Um, I think we would take care to think about those numbers and to recognize that if, if this has been your, the pattern of your life, these periods of correction probably aren't getting shorter, they're probably getting longer. Uh, in the first uh, cycle of correction, it was one enemy and eight years. In the second cycle, it's three enemies confederated together to oppress God's people for 18 years. Uh, think about that. Let that settle in for a moment. If, if this is the pattern of your life, the correction that God is allowing into your life is, is probably not getting easier to bear. It's probably getting more intense because... You've not been corrected with easier, more gentle correction. You may have got a harder spank when you were a kid if you weren't corrected by one or two light ones. Your parents might have learned quickly that you needed a little firmer uh, spank to get the idea. Well, well, God knows that too. Uh, God knows that too. Of course, these people could have cried out to God at any moment, but they didn't. They, they, it took 18 years for them to cry out to the Lord, but they finally do. Praise God, they finally do. And no doubt they've done this because God has uh, kept them under his chastening hand for 18 years. Uh, verse 15 says this, but when the children of Israel 
cried unto the Lord. They did finally, praise God, they finally uh, cried out to the Lord. Uh, the Lord raised up a, a, a judge uh, to give them salvation from their enemies. The second part of verse 15 says, The Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, uh, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, uh, Eglon the king of Moab. So there's a story here, and you, and you may remember this account. It's, uh, it's certainly interesting. It's a little bit graphic. Uh, it gets a little bit gross even, but the Lord has seen fit to uh, record this account and to preserve it for us. Uh, so let, let's not skip over it. So God raises up a deliverer, a judge, Ehud. And evidently, God sends Ehud to deal with Eglon, the king of Moab, uh, who might very well be at Jericho. I think that's, it. that's at least implied. Uh, Ehud is a Benjamite. We know that Jericho uh, was a Benjamite city. Uh, by the way, this word left-handed, some lefties out there are saying, well, praise God, there's, there's a lefty. Uh, we're not really sure what this is all about. Some have uh, inferred that this might be a reference to their military training, that perhaps they were trained to be ambidextrous for uh, fighting purposes. Make a note, Judges 20 and verse 16 does seem to refer to this. Among all these people, the Bible says there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. And think what's implied is they could do that with either hand. So this may refer to military training uh, to be ambidextrous, and which would be useful, no doubt, in uh, military purposes. So the Lord has sent uh, Ehud uh, to deal uh, with, the, with our king here. Uh, Eglon. It's going to be confusing, and hopefully I won't misstate it, but the Lord is sending Ehud, the judge, to deal with the king, Eglon. Now, see verse 16. Here's what's going to happen. Ehud is going to make a dagger, and uh, there's reference here to uh, a scheme to take a present uh, to King Eglon. So keep in mind, they're under tribute. The people are, are being oppressed by this enemy king, uh, they were, they no doubt, were in the business of paying tribute to this king. So uh, perhaps the idea is that there's been a special offering uh, raised, and, and we're going to take it to the king. That's going to give us an opportunity to have access to him uh, and to deal with him as God desires. Verse 16 says, Ehu made him a dagger. Uh, we normally think of that as a short sword, but uh, it might be a little longer than the way we would normally think. In any event, it had two edges. Uh, of a cubit length, so that's uh, 18 inches or so, a forearm's length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Uh, so he was left-handed, he would reach across to the right thigh to draw that dagger out. Uh, Ehud traveled to present a gift to King Eglon, verse 17. He brought the present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Now see the next phrase. And Eglon was a very, Eglon was a very fat man. He was a big man. Uh, that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't uh, hide that. That's what it says. He was a big, fat king. Verse 18 says, when he had made an end uh, to offer the present. So picture here's Eglon uh, there in the company of, of the big, fat king. Uh, when he had made an end to offer the present, uh, evidently it would, would be some money or uh, some, some kind of tribute that he paid. He sent away the people that bear the present. So those that had traveled uh, with Ehud are sent away, uh, and Ehud has a private meeting with King Eglon. Verse 19, but he himself turned away from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king. Uh, so he pretends he, he has something secret for him. King probably thought, oh, good, you have more money for me. Maybe you want something from me, so you've got some uh, secret bribe for me, something like that. That's probably what the king thought. Uh, he's, who said, keep silence. Shh, don't tell anyone. Let me get rid of my people. I don't want them to hear. The king sent out all his people. All that stood by him went out from him, the Bible says. And Ehud, verse 20, came unto him. Uh, and he was sitting in a summer parlor. By the way, if this is Jericho, this makes sense. The king would have a special place where he could get cool in the summertime. Jericho would be an extremely hot place. Uh, someone wrote it might be one of the hottest places uh, on the planet, particularly at certain times of year. Uh, in any event, the uh, Bible says, which he had uh, for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message for, from God unto thee. 
uh, Ehud said, hey, uh, king, I've got a message from God uh, for you. He gets up, he rises uh, out of his seat, uh, and Ehud presumes or, or, or goes on to do this. Verse 21, Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh. What did he do? He thrust it into his belly. Not his own belly, but the king's big fat belly. That's what the Bible says. Verse 22, and the haft, that would be the handle of the dagger or this short sword, the haft also went in after the blade. He's got a big fat belly. Uh, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. The king was so big uh, that, that this, uh, this forearm length uh, dagger went all the way into his belly and then closed up and Ehud could not even draw it out of him. Uh, the Bible says, <laughs> that's what the Bible says, he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. Uh, and then it says this, and the dirt came out. You may have read that before and thought about that, wondered about that. I don't know what that is unless it's the content of his bowels. As that dagger went in, it pierced his bowels and uh, his, his bowels gushed forth through the wound uh, uh, to the outside of his body. This is very clearly picturing a fatal wound, uh, a bowel injury, an internal injury that would be fatal. So this enemy king who's been oppressing God's people, uh, I would say he's been dealt with here. Uh, so Eglon, for, forgive me, Ehud, he, he leaves, uh, he locks the doors behind him. He wants to uh, create some time to get away before the king's men discover what's happened. So he leaves uh, the, the, the place and he locks the doors. Verse 23 says that uh, Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. Uh, the king's servants returned to check on the king. Verse 24, when he was going out, when Ehud was going out, his servants came. Uh, and when they saw king's servants and we saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, surely he covereth his feet. You ever wonder about that? Surely he covereth his feet. Well, this is polite Bible language. It does seem to refer to using the restroom. Uh, using the restroom. Make a note <laughs> if you like. Uh, or maybe just remember that. Uh, they, they said, well, he's got the door locked. He must be using the restroom. That was a reasonable assumption. Uh, surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. So they wait. And while they're waiting, Ehud is escaping. Uh, God has allowed this to be the case. Verse 25, as they tarried till they were ashamed, they waited until they could wait no longer for the king. Uh, the Bible says, behold, he, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they, the king's men, took a key and opened them. And behold, their lord, their king, was fallen down dead uh, on the earth. Yep, no doubt that dagger still inside of him, all closed up in there. Uh, that probably caused infection, Zach. Uh, not a good thing. Not a good thing for the king. But... No doubt a great thing for the children of Israel. God has raised up Ehud to deliver them from King Eglon of Mesopotamia, and that is exactly what has been accomplished. Uh, you may wonder about why all these details are recorded. Uh, no doubt there, there is a purpose for all of it, and, and certainly part of it is to see that God was working providentially in the details here to provide a way for Eglon to escape and, and, and to go on and to lead and judge the people uh, for a period of time. There may be other purposes here, but, but certainly it's not here just to entertain us or to gross us out. It's, it's here to show uh, a judgment on an enemy king in part and to show, I believe, God working providentially to allow this judge whom God has raised up to escape. Uh, if God calls you to do something and God chooses to protect you, he is going to enable you to accomplish that and he's going to protect you if that's what God chooses to do. And sure enough, here is exactly what he's done. Well, Ehud escapes. Uh, in verse 27, we see he blows a trumpet uh, to call the children of Israel. Uh, many of you are listening for a trumpet even tonight. I hope, keep listening uh, for the, the rapture, the return of our Savior. Verse tw 27, the Bible says this, it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet uh, in the mountain of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them. And verse 28 says, he said to them, follow after me. Uh, follow me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Please note, Ehud does not take credit for what has been accomplished. He says, 
uh, follow after me, no doubt he understands that's what God wants, but he gives God credit for delivering them from the enemy king. He does not take credit for what God has done. Lord, help us to get a hold of that principle. Make a note, please. Don't take credit for what God is doing in our lives or what God has done in our lives. Look for opportunities to give God credit. Uh, here, Ehud does that. That'll bring honor and glory to the Lord, and that's what we want to do. That's the business that we're in. Uh, the Bible says, after they went down after him and took the fords, well, let me back up. They delivered the enemies of Moabites into your hand, and they, the people, went down after him and took the fords of the Jordan. Uh, this would be the banks of the Jordan River toward Moab. They've reclaimed, they've retaken the banks of the Jordan. Uh, Moab would be to the east of the Jordan, uh, directly east of the Dead Sea. Uh, the people with, with the enemy king have been killed. The people have an opportunity uh, to take, to control uh, the, the east side of the river again. So they, they have. They went down after him and took the fords of the Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man uh, to pass over. They've reclaimed that boundary. See verse 29, the people went on to slay 10,000 uh, enemy men of Moab. Verse 29 says this, they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men. These are the same guys that have been uh, keeping them oppressed for 18 years. Uh, 18 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long time of oppression. Uh, they slew. That now that God has raised up a deliverer and strengthened him uh, and, and he's leading the people, they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. Go back to the word lusty uh, for a moment. Um, we have an idea of how that word is used today. Uh, this word here. Uh, actually has the idea of being heavy or overweight or just plain fat. It has that idea. Uh, the king had gotten plenty fat. <laughs> the Bible says that. Uh, his, his belly uh, accommodated a, an 18-inch or so uh, blade. Uh, evidently, his troops uh, got kind of comfortable, and perhaps they've just been laying around. They've possessed this land, these people. They've oppressed them for 18 years. They got kind of comfortable in that. Uh, they, they weren't taking care of themselves. They weren't staying kind of battle ready. Uh, they got heavy and fat, and they were conquered, easily conquered in that. Listen, this is, this is no doubt part of God's plan. Uh, God had allowed this, made it easier uh, for the children of Israel to have this victory. Uh, God raised up a man to lead them. God raised and enabled a man to take out the enemy king. Uh, God was dealing with these troops, weakening them so that his people could more easily have victory over them. This is, this is God everywhere. Uh, this is God working to deliver his people from oppression now that they have cried out to him. This is, this is God working everywhere. Uh, look for that. As we go through these passages, look for God working. Be encouraged by that. And then look at your own life and see God working in your own life. Uh, see, see God working and orchestrating things, blessings and meeting your needs. And, uh, and, and if you can't see it, just stop and pray and say, God, help me to see you at work in my life. Begin thanking him for his provision and then choose to see his provision as just that. God, I have uh, food and clothing and shelter and the things that I need. God, you've provided that. Thank you for working in my life. You see that all over these verses. Well, the people have rest from oppression for 80 years. Uh, Moab, verse 30, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest four score, 20, 40, 60, 80 years. That's the second cycle. The third cycle is one verse, and all I'm going to do is read it, and we're done. We only have one verse here. Verse 31 says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. We'll come back uh, next Wednesday night and talk a little bit more about this verse, and we'll go into verse or chapter 4 also. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. I'm going to close in prayer, and I uh, want you just to consider the things we, we've uh, seen tonight and give you a chance also uh, to pray, God, show me how you want me to apply these things uh, in my life. God, help me to see you at work. Uh, God, if there's things I need to repent of, such that your chastisement would be removed and your blessings restored, show me in my heart. God, if there's 
been a, a tendency in my heart, in my mind, to not see you at work in my life. Help me to see that and, and restore a sense of gratitude in my heart and, and help me to pray prayers of, of, of thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage tonight. I, I'm so grateful that we can see um, that you're a God who, who doesn't just wind things up and then go off in a corner. You're a, you're a God who is active in our lives. And Lord, when we need correction as your people, you intervene to correct, and I thank you for that tonight. God, I pray tonight, Father, I pray that if we see correction in our individual lives tonight, I pray that that would be like the warning light going off on the dashboard in the car, that something is wrong, something needs to be corrected. Lord, if we're not sure what that is, I, I, I pray that each one would pray, God, show me, convict me what it is in my life, in my heart that needs to be corrected. And then, God, please give me your grace to repent, to forsake, to turn away from the sin, and to put on obedience in its place. And, God, would you please bless me again, having made that decision. God, help me to be thankful, to be thankful as I see you at work in my life, whether it's correction or blessing or whatever it is. Lord, help me to be thankful. Help me to see you at work and to be thankful. God, you're a God who works providentially in the life of your people. I'm so very thankful. I'm grateful. Thank you for working in my life. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach's going to come and lead us in a, a closing song. Uh, he'll close us real fast in prayer. Uh, and then if you've received an email from us, please do join us online for a short time of prayer tonight. really want to encourage you to do that. We won't be real long, but uh, it's important that we continue to pray together. So I really want to encourage you to do that tonight, please. Thank you. All right, let's take our hymn sheets and go to number 650. We will sing the first and the last of Redeemed, number 650. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. The last I know shall see in his beauty, the King in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am.